words, right? Oh man, and I tell you what, after last week, we just decided we'd start every week of the series this way, so I don't have to remind us why we're doing it, okay? Okay, so we just see that, and we all struggle with doing dumb things, and uh, we all find ourselves in places where we've uh, done something we regret, I'm sure, in many, way, in many ways. So I want to invite you to grab this uh, set of notes out of your program, and you can follow along today. Uh, we're going to be in Proverbs. You want to open your Bible to Proverbs, uh, be happy to have you do that. Also, uh, if you want to pick up a Bible every time you come in, you just do it on both sides of the doors as you come in. And all, if you don't own a Bible, we just want to give you one as our gift to you. So when you leave today, just look on the doors as you go out and love to have you pick one up and take one home uh, for you. So I just really appreciated your uh, feedback from last Sunday as we kicked off this series and uh, the, how it impacted you. And uh, I just want to ask you to do something for me. If you weren't here last week, uh, I want to ask you if you'd uh, be willing to give the extra hour that you got. You guys all slept more, right? Give the extra hour you got and go online and watch last week's service. Uh, last week's service was introduction. It was foundation uh, to be able to understand Proverbs. And so I just want to encourage you that you would do that and that you would be able to you know, understand why we're doing this series and the importance of this series in our lives uh, as we pursue God and especially as we pursue wisdom. Now, right at the top of your notes is the theme verse for the series. Uh, it says in Proverbs 4, 7, and 8, I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd read it out loud with me, okay? Let's read it together. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. If you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace her, and she will honor you. So Proverbs was written by King Solomon approximately 3,000 years ago. It's a compilation of words that he wrote and words that others wrote that he put together. And it was probably used in teaching uh, the young Hebrew children and the ways of God. It's God-centric and teaching them how to live uh, the way that God wanted them to do wisely, short statements that help us to see what God, how God would want us to live. If you wanted to you know, use a common phrase today, this is God's Twitter feed to us, okay? Uh, 140 characters or less, he's giving us these proverbs, and they're spitting out words of wisdom to us that he wants us to embrace and he wants us to bring into our life. Now, I want to give you a couple of ideas from last week, just so we can kind of you know, understand the whole idea. Uh, three ideas about wisdom. First, wisdom is knowing uh, knowing how things work. So first of all, I need to know how things work. Secondly, wisdom is knowing how things are. So I may know how they work, but I need to know how they are so I can really understand the situation and circumstance. And then number three, wisdom is knowing what to do about it. How things work, how things are, and then what to do about it so that I can change my circumstance and situation. And we said last week that Wisdom is all about making great decisions. If I want a great life, I need to make great decisions, and therefore I need to look into these words of wisdom that he's given us here. And today we're going to look at how to be wise with our words. If you want to be wise and you want to have a great life, then you need to learn how to harness the words that you use, because your words can make you. Your words can make you hireable. Your words can make you fireable. Your words can make a relationship. Your words can end a relationship. Your words can push your kids away, or your words can pull them close. Your words can make you enemies, or the words can make you friends. Your words can bring you prosperity, or the words can bring you disaster. And so what I want to do today is I just want to look at how do I use words wisely? What can I do so that I can have the best benefit from the words that I use? 
So we just kind of began this morning. I was all to kind of, you know, kind of wrap our brains around this. How many of you would be willing to say that at some point in your life, you've used words in a way that has hurt somebody else? Would you raise your hand? Every one of us, all around the room. Now it's a little more sensitive here. How many of you would say that the way words were used at you hurt you deeply in some way? Many of us, most of us would say that, and it's really true. So what we want to do is we want to talk about this whole idea of words, because one person has said it this way, words hurt. Words hurt. The phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me, is just a myth. It's a flat-out lie. It's just not true. Words hurt. And so the, because the misuse of words can be so damaging to us, and on the flip side, on the other hand, the proper use of words can be so uplifting and helpful, we want to talk today about, you know, changing the way we use words so that instead of tearing people down, we actually build people up. Now, it'd be, you know, fascinating for uh, when I was doing my study for me to, to read this and maybe for you to hear it today, is that next to wisdom, and Proverbs is all about wisdom, next to wisdom, words and speech is the primary focus of Proverbs. Over 120 Proverbs deal with words and speech, and I'm going to cover all of them today. Okay, so all of them. No, not, we're not going to do that. Okay, but Proverbs 13.3, Mark read it just a moment ago, is one of them. It says this, those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. Somebody want to come up here and give us a personal story right now, you know, because you can relate to this. It can ruin everything. So what we need to understand is this. The words we use are not neutral. The words we use are not neutral. The words we use have power and they have impact. And we need to realize the power and impact those words we use have on other people. They have the power to inspire. They have the power to defeat. They have the power to build up, the power to tear down. So we're going to look at the, you know, kind of the two ways that words are used in Proverbs. Give you a chance to fill in some blanks here. And the first is this. My words have the power to wound. They have the power to wound or tear down. Many of the Proverbs talk about the power my words have in someone else's life to wound them or tear down. So I'm going to start with Proverbs 12, 18a, and then we'll look at 18b in just a little bit when we talk about another way that words are used. But 18a says this, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. I practice that tongue twister, okay? They're like sword thrusts. So a rash person, in the way they use the words, it's like sword thrusts. The idea is this, is that picture here is that a rash person, the way they use the words, it's like that they have a sword and they use that sword and they stick someone and they pull that sword out. And the, what's left is, you know, they're left with their sword, but then the person who got stuck is left with damage and a wound. Damage and a wound. You can't take away the damage and the wound just because you took the sword out. Just because you said the word and you try to take it back, you're not going to be able to take back the damage that was done by you thrusting the sword into the other person. You know, we, we, you know maybe it's thrust a sword into somebody else with the word we use. We pull it out. We're going on our merry way. Hey, it's awesome, you know, going around. And that person is left back over here in misery and pain and suffering because of the words that we just use, and they're not going to get over them. So that's the picture here that the Proverbs gives us. Words can kill like a sword. 
And what it says, um, it says next, it says, the pro- in Proverbs 18, 21a, it says, the tongue can bring death or life. Death or life. Now, we're in this age where we hear a lot about bullying, and I'm glad we do. It really needs to be on our uh, awareness, on our radar screen, is the concept of bullying, and it happens everywhere uh, in all kinds of situations as we bully each other, but especially uh, we are reading more and more about how it's happening with our teenagers and adolescents. And so with the use of social media, they bully one another. They say things that are harmful and hurtful. They, th- they thrust those swords in. And then, you know, they've done it on social media, so it's not going to have any impact in their mind because, you know, they just wrote something and they go on. But it's damaging kids so much that kids are taking their lives because of the power of words to hurt. And they can bring death or life. They can kill. But not only can they kill Our words can also wound somebody emotionally and mentally and psychologically, that they can wound somebody. Now, just call a kid stupid. And have you ever, you know, kind of, you know, you have that memory or you've seen somebody else who was called stupid and you see the damage that was done. Let a child know that they aren't capable. And they'll believe up, grow up believing they're not capable. Tell a child, say you're dull or you're shy or you're clumsy. And you're naming... You're giving a definition to that person and how they view themselves, and they will grow up believing that they are dull or shy or clumsy in some day. Anything, anytime, get this, anytime that you are saying something negative about someone else, you are in fact being the judge and the jury, and you're punishing that person by your judgment. You're the judge and the jury. So when you use phrases and you say it about somebody else, say, that person is so stupid. That person is dumb. Can you believe how slow that person is? How boring that person is? How mindless that person is? How incapable that person is? That person's an idiot. That person's lazy. That person's a fatso. You're being the judge and the jury, and you're punishing that person to be labeled that way, and many times they'll grow up believing that's who they are because someone judged them and labeled them in that way. And those are sword strokes that leave wounds that are deep, some of them deeper than others, others, obviously. And we deal with those wounds that come from our past. Now, some of you, you may be sitting here thinking of only the words that were used at you right now. But what I want to ask you to do as we go through this talk today is you won't just think of the words that were delivered at you, but you will also think of the words that you delivered at someone else. And I hope today that you would be willing with me to just say, stop it. Just stop it. Enough already. I'm no longer going to be the judge and the jury of other people, and I'm no longer going to speak the negative words into someone else's life that will label them, place me above them, label them in some way that they will believe that that's who they are. Okay, the second way is this. Words can be used to nourish others. Nourish or build up. Nourish or build up. Opposite extremes to hurt others, to wound them, or tear down, or to nourish, or build up. Okay, Proverbs 12, 18b. The tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 18, 20 through 21a. Wise words satisfy like a good meal. I love food, so I can really get this analogy, okay? Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words can bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring death or 
life. And what he's saying here is he's saying that wise words nourish someone. And when you're nourished, what you're doing is you're getting the nutrients to live. You're getting what you need to live. And so wise words give someone else the nutrients, the the things of life that they need in order to flourish. When we get nourished, we flourish. And so that's what we're talking about here. We just like we need food to live, we need words that are positive in our lives to help us to develop emotionally and mentally and then to be able to know that others accept us and believe in us. We all need words in order to thrive and survive. Uh, I've been going down in the last couple of weeks. Uh, you're going to get to meet today Chase Standifer at the end of our service time, our new student pastor, and his wife delivered their baby 11 and a half weeks early. And so I've been going down and uh, spending some time and got to go in the neonatal unit this uh, Friday. And while we were there on Friday, uh, you know, she's getting fed just, uh, you know, like grams or whatever they would be measuring it. I'm not sure, but not grams. I'm sure it's measured in liquid. And so she's getting just a little bit of a food at a time. And so as she's getting that food, she's growing and she's, you know, being nourished and she's flourishing now because of that. And that's the idea here is that when we give positive words, someone else will be nourished and then they will actually flourish. Now, this is why, just for some of us, now, none of us would be probably, you know, this, we're not going to speak to you, but some of you will. This is why the silent treatment is so damaging. The silent treatment. So, you know, if you're using the silent treatment, you uh, need to understand, because those in your world know this fully, that when you're using that, you're robbing in, with, in the opportunity what someone else needs to hear words that will help them to be nourished and flourish in some way. So what are some words? You know, I gave you some words that are negative words that would tear somebody down. So here's some flourishing words. You would say to someone else, I trust you. You tell someone else, I need you. I'm proud of you. I respect you. You become someone's cheerleader. You can do it. Way to go. I believe in you. I love you. You're important to me. Hang in there. You really have a gift that I see being used right now. So you speak those kinds of words, and when you speak them, they actually nourish other people. Now, because we have you know, negative and positive words, and some of us struggle with you know, whether to use, how to use positive words instead of these negative words, what I want to do is turn your notes over on the backside, and I want to talk for just a minute how, because we are humans and we do speak, how we can use words wisely. How we can use words wisely. So the first is this. I need to let my words be few. If I'm going to use my words wisely, I need to let my words be few. And right now, we're talking about probably the hardest thing we'll talk about all morning. Let my words be few. I love this next verse. Actually, I hate this next verse, okay? But here's what it says. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Okay? Okay, we can just bow our heads and go home now, okay? <laughs> That's it, right there. Think how this makes me feel. I speak three times every Sunday. Think how many words I use. Okay, so too much talk leads to sin. And they thanked me after first service that it was actually on time today and said I did my message, okay? So there you go. Okay, what that means is this. The greater the amount of words you use, the more apt you are to mess up with your words. Just that simple. The greater the amount of words you use, the more apt you are to mess up with your words. Proverbs 15. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. So here's what it's saying. Here's what you need to grasp today. You need to contemplate before you communicate. 
You need to contemplate before you communicate. But in another way, a minute of thought can save hours of talk. Okay, just a minute of thought can save hours of trying to dig yourself out of where you got yourself into because you didn't think. Abraham Lincoln said it this way. He said, it is better to keep silent and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Okay, <laughs> there we go. Someone else said it this way. A shut mouth gathers no foot, okay? Gathers no <laughs> foot. Uh, and I love the Quakers. They, they say it this way. Never break the silence unless you can improve upon it. Pretty doggone good, right? Never break the silence unless you can improve upon it. But that's just not natural for us. It's not natural. Scientists have actually done survey, uh, research on this, and I, I love you know, reading all this research, and it really is uh, very inspiring for me to do that. But scientists have done uh, research on this and how long it is that we're comfortable with a pause in conversation. How long do you think would be, you know, what's the longest amount of time we can be comfortable with a pause in conversation? Somebody help me. How much? Ten seconds? Five seconds? Okay. It is two seconds. Two seconds. So when there's a conversation going on, our natural tendency as human beings, some of us are obviously going to be different than this, uh, but... Two seconds is about all we can stand with a lull before we get uncomfortable and have to fill it with something. About two seconds. And here's what's actually actually happening. That person is sitting there trying to catch a breath and get the next word out, and there's that two-second gap when the breath and get something out, and you get uncomfortable, and you start filling it with something else. You start filling it instead of listening because what that person was doing was talking and thinking and processing, and you may just have shut off an opportunity to receive wisdom yourself, but also to bless that other person and another person be able to reflect in a way that would open their heart up, but you shut it off because you couldn't stand the silence. Folks, here's the deal. Certain things are better off not said. Certain things are better off not said. So I know if I were to ask you to raise your hands, everybody in the room would raise your hand and say there's a time when you regretted saying something, that you regretted being the one to say it. So here's, here's kind of, a, I'll leave you this last thought in this area, okay? Think like an environmentalist, okay? Decrease your verbal footprint, okay? That's what you want to do. <laughs> Decrease your verbal footprint. And so you're thinking a conversation, you remember to think about this kind of three, three words, stop, pause, and listen. Stop, pause, and listen so that you can be reflective in conversation. Let your words be few, let your words be timely. Let your words be timely. Proverbs 15, 23. Everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. It really is, isn't it? To know you said the right thing at the right time. That word fitting there, that actually means delightful. So when I say the right word at the right time, it can actually be delightful to the person who hears it. It can actually fit the sensibility of the listener so that they can hear the information that was just given to them. Now, this is an area I really struggle in. Uh, I don't know if it's just because I'm a guy and guys want to fix everything or uh, what it says about me exactly, but this is an area I really struggle in. And I find it to be, you know, where I struggle with it most would be in my parenting and in my marriage. And when I have something to say that I just know is going to be helpful... You know, everybody been there, right? You just know that it's going to be helpful if you say this right now. 
and you just can't stop yourself from saying it. You know, you just kind of blurt it out in some way. So you have something in your mind, and you're saying, boy, if I can just say this right now, then I know it's going to be helpful if you'll just hear this. But you know, and I've done this so many times, I'm sitting at the dining room table, I'm riding in the car, and I just know that what I have to say right now would be so helpful. I also know at the same time that this is not the right moment, and I say it anyway. And what happens is, what I determined would be helpful for the other person actually turns out to be hurtful. And what I thought was going to be helpful and was going to really, you know, help this other person, and it was actually so hurtful that they're not able to hear what was helpful and actually disqualify it as wisdom for them. And so I'm working on this. I'm working to try to say, okay, how can I let my words be few? So that when I do speak, that, and timely, so that when I do speak, the listener is ready to receive and then we can have communication that actually works, okay? So few, timely, and then three, true. Let my words be true. Now, you know we get here because you have to have, you know, honesty in any relationship for it to be successful. And the Bible has a lot to say about lying. And so he wants us to speak truthfully. Proverbs 4.24. Put away from you crooked speech. Put devious talk far from you. Proverbs 12.22. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. Now, lying and deceit, and I've seen this played out so many times uh, in folks' lives. Lying and deceit is, I, I think, one of the top things that actually destroys relationships. Lying and deceit, because if someone lies or is deceitful, then we don't have the ability to trust them. Uh, and so it's hard for us to be in relationship. You cannot have a healthy relationship if someone's not telling the truth. You just can't do it. Now, why don't we tell the truth? Because we're cowards. That's why. Every lie is designed in some way to hide. And I'm hiding because if you knew the truth right now, then it would either cause conflict or it would make me look less than I am or in some way it's going to cause you to, you know, get distressed. And so I'm a coward, and so I hide the truth from you. But here's what I learned a long time ago. And I always need to be reminded of this because I can, you know, get away from this myself. Um, that when we're afraid of saying the truth to somebody because we're afraid of how they're going to react or respond, and we're afraid it's going to lead to conflict, here's what I learned a long time ago. Conflict does not have to be the end of a relationship. Conflict does not have to be the end of a relationship. In fact, conflict may actually increase the intimacy of the relationship. There is no intimacy without truth-telling, and there is no truth-telling without conflict. So we just got to know, if I'm going to you know, sign up for this thing of being wise with my words, that I, at times, may say some words of truth that are going to create conflict, and if I, I'm avoiding the conflict, I'm avoiding intimacy. I'm avoiding helping the relationship be better. Because here's what happens. When I refuse to tell the truth, I'm um, hurting the other person. I'm actually hurting the other person more than I realize. When you deceive someone else, here's what it is. When you deceive someone else by not telling the truth, you're denying them from knowing reality. I can't change if I don't know reality. I can't respond if I don't know reality. So when you hide the truth from someone, you're denying from them the opportunity to know reality so that if they know reality, they can actually 
have wisdom and they can respond in a certain way. When you tell the truth, though, just know the truth always has to be motivated by love. Some of us, we get confused about this and we think truth-telling means I need to tell you something because it's going to make my life better. But really what you need to do is when you tell the truth is I need to tell you something because it's going to make your life better. I care too much about you not to say this word of truth in this way. Okay, fourth, let my words be life-giving. Let them be life-giving. Let my words be encouraging or affirming. And uh, so what I'm going to ask you to do is just notice the, the benefits of encouraging words in these next Proverbs. Proverbs 10, 11, 8. The words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. Words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. Proverbs 12, 25b. An encouraging person cheers a person up. Proverbs 12, 18b. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. 15.4. Gentle words are a tree of life. So what the picture is in Proverbs is that when I use words that are nourishing and encouraging, I'm actually bringing delight, I'm bringing flowing water, I'm bringing a tree of life, which a tree of life means that the person is bearing fruit in some way because of the words that I did, used. So I would look at it and say, how can I, in every circumstance I'm in, bring words that will bring fruit into someone else's life? And so I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. We just finished our series on prayer, and so I'm just really thinking about ways I can get us to pray and think about especially the kinds of prayers we walk around with in our minds and, and kind of breathing types of prayers. And here's the prayer I'm going to ask you to pray when you're coming, you know, when you're with someone else, as you would pray this prayer, God, speak through me. God, speak through me. God, speak through me. God, I know I'm with this person right now, and Lord, I know what I would want to say, and I, could just, I don't want to just be caught up in, you know, talking about the weather or the stock market, or the games that all happened today. I want to talk about something that would be meaningful and would actually build life in this other person. So God, speak through me. Speak through me that it would bring life into the life of this person that I'm with. Now, you're you're here at this point, just like I was when I was preparing my talk, and I thought, wow, I, I really want to do all this. Why don't I? Why don't I do all this? Why is this not more natural for me? And the reason it's not more natural is because Proverbs is clear, and the rest of the Bible is extremely clear on this, that the problem is not in our tongue. In fact, do you know in James, if you go to James, it talks about the, the, the tongue being like a fire, like a spark. And I was thinking about that. And I, I, I actually had intended to do pictures to show you of the, the Tahoe Rim fire. And it started from a spark and the devastation of that. And James is saying that's the power of our words if we don't use them correctly. And then James says this, and this is what's a little bit, you know, discombobulating to us sometimes. He says, we, the tongue, is not able to be controlled. Really? Well, that's all we've talked about today, is that we need to control our tongues. Well, the Bible also says this. It says, it's not a word problem. It's a heart problem. That's what we're dealing with. It's not a word problem. It's a heart problem. And look at what Proverbs says about this. It says, 
The heart of the wise, that's what we want to be as wise, right? Makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. So the deal is this. Your heart guides you. Your heart guides you. Now, in Hebrew culture, you know, the Bible was written in Hebrew, Old Testament, and two Hebrews. But in Hebrew culture, this understanding the heart was different than we look at the heart today. And today, we look at the heart and we say it's the seat of our emotion. It's the seat of, seat of our feelings. They looked at it as the heart is the seat of my will. The, the center, the driving force, the controlling factor of my life is my heart. And he's saying, so I'm born with a heart that is centered on myself and not able to and willing to speak words of life into someone else. So the deal is, I need something done with my heart. Look at what Jesus says. He says this. He says, for whatever's in your heart determines what you say. So I don't want you to miss this today, okay? Just, we're going to just settle this all down to understanding more clearly. It is not possible to do what we're talking about today consistently unless you've allowed Jesus Christ to change your heart. It's just not possible to do it consistently. You may dabble at it. You may get, you know, work up enough self-will and willpower to make it happen for a conversation or a half a day. But what you're going to find is it's not possible to consistently change your patterns unless you've allowed Jesus Christ to change your heart. And then as he changes your heart, then over time, he will change your words if you let him. And the way that Jesus Christ changes your heart is through the cross. It's through the cross. It's not through your willpower. It's through what Jesus Christ did in his power to do for you what you couldn't do. He will change your heart. And as your heart changes, your words will be nourishing, life-bringing, life-giving, speaking into other people in a way that will transform not only them, but transform you as well. Let's bow our heads and pray. Fathers, we come to this part of the service. We just heard the truth about heart change being through Jesus Christ. Lord, I know that there are people in the room, some just guests today, have never heard this before. They just thought church was about religion and keeping rules and regulations. But church is, I mean, but church is about Jesus Christ and a relationship. So wherever you are today, I just want to invite you that if you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, that today would be your day. You can pray this prayer just in your mind as I pray it with you. Jesus Christ, I say yes to you today. Jesus Christ, I come to you and I just admit to you that I have broken other people's hearts. I have broken other people's lives by the words I use. Jesus, I have sinned against you and a holy God and others. And so I confess that sin to you today. And because of what you did on the cross by dying for me, I receive forgiveness today. I receive cleansing. And as your word says, I receive a new heart, a new sense of 
well-being, but also a new command central where you call the shots for my life. And Jesus, what I pray today is I pray that you would give me the wisdom and the insight to let my words be few, to let my words be timely, to let my words be true, and let them be life-giving. And Jesus, we all pray this because we all need this. We all need your grace in order to be graceful to others. Help us to just be bathed in grace as we give it away. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.